Hey everybody, uh, Tim from 20 Years of Nitro here. Just wanted to talk to you guys for uh, a minute and I, I will try to keep it short. Uh, if you listen to the show, you know uh, that I'm not great at doing that. But I wanted to take a, a minute and just explain... Um, there's just some weirdness with this episode or, or things that I feel like I wanted to preface it with. Um, so the what actually happened was the way kind of it, it took place chronologically is way back on May 15th, almost a month ago now, I, I'm recording this on June 9th. Uh, I just finished editing the episode here, June 9th. But May 15th, I conducted uh, an interview with Slade Mercer to put on our next Worldwide episode. Slade was was great. He put up with a lot of really stupid questions I had about uh, New Zealand, where he's from, just because uh, I, I warned myself before the interview not to be like a child and ask really stupid, basic bitch questions about New Zealand, but I couldn't help myself when I did, and I asked silly stuff about time zones and really embarrassed myself, so hope you all um, look forward to hearing that in the interview portion, but I, I did that, and then Dave and I were going to record worldwide during the week, um, and we just kept pushing it back, and we ended up, we were going to record it on Saturday, which would have been like May, tw- I, I don't have a calendar in front of me, uh, but uh, 30th, I believe, May 30th, give or take, was when we were going to record um, the rest of Worldwide, or when we did, excuse me, record the rest of the episode. Uh, that morning, we learned that Hanakamura had taken her own life, Um Hana was not someone that I was familiar with until the night before when I had heard that this Japanese wrestling star was was having some issues uh, and posting some things on Twitter. So um, I talk about in the episode, I went to bed thinking that she was actually okay and that someone was on the way to like pick her up or check on her. Um, and then I woke up to a text, a message from Dave that that was not the case. Uh, Dave is actually, he was very familiar with her. Um, he's a, a stardom fan. He was a fan of Hana Kimura. Um, so this, uh, loss had impacted him, you know, on an emotional level as a fan. Um, and because this episode of worldwide was, we were just, you know, kind of talking for the first time. Um, you're just getting us basically having the conversation we would have had on the phone or in my living room about this. Uh, we just happened to be having it during a podcast. So at times we just kind of go in circles. I'm not saying that anything we have to say is exceptionally profound or, or meaningful, um, you know, Dave was a fan. I'd never heard of her. We're not experts. We don't know a ton about modern Japanese culture. We're just two people reacting to this very sad news. Um, also, wrapped up in that whole tragedy was earlier that week, uh, Shad Gaspard had died in just a very um, sad, sad incident. And we were both, you know, thinking about that. That was on our minds. It was the anniversary of Owen Hart. So we talk about all that stuff. Uh, and we recorded the episode, and it, I, just be honest, like, it, it, it was a very depressing experience. Um, we got through the part where we just kind of had news and notes, but then at the end, when it was just sort of our time to talk, we really dwelt on it and just kind of talked, and um, it ended on a very sad note, which is which is okay. It's okay to be sad. Um, but it had made it so... My enthusiasm for editing was such that I just wasn't—I was not in a rush to get in there and listen to us talk about it because it was hard to talk about. So I wasn't necessarily looking forward to hearing it again. Uh, and then you know, a few days slipped by, and then uh, here, just 15 or so minutes from my home, 
uh, George Floyd was killed by the Minneapolis Police Department, and things really got nuts. Um, I don't want to present anything like I was in any kind of danger or crazy situation. I'm I'm out here in the suburbs. Um, I my dad grew up three blocks away from where George Floyd was killed. I spent a lot of time in that neighborhood where my grandparents, uh, they still lived there when I was young. Um, my parents are divorced. So I grew up in Minneapolis, but also in a suburb, um, just South Minneapolis. Um, so, uh, I've spent a lot of time there. I lived there in my twenties for several years. I've, a lot of my friends still live there. Um, it's one of those things where if you're from the Chicago area, it's easier to just tell people that you're from Chicago, right? It's the same. It's easy to tell people that I'm from Minneapolis, that I consider Minneapolis my hometown, uh, even though that's not, you know, I'm within another town's borders technically. Minneapolis is always the place that's in my heart. Um, so to watch some of it burn um, because of the anger of... of racist policing that has impacted people of color here for generations um, that has largely got ignored. You know, there, there's a degree to which when you live in the North, I think of by and large, but especially in a, a part of the North that typically votes blue, whatever you want to say is liberal, whatever, whatever verbiage you want to use where you look down on some of the socio-political issues in like an Alabama or a Mississippi and you think you're so above it. And then you're confronted with the fact that no, like life here for people that do not look like me is as bad as it can be in all those places that I would use as a stereotype of what a racist neighborhood or a racist state or whatever looks like. And, and just to see um, how much that anger had built up here and and how people were suffering and um and and look I get people who say you know the way to express that is not to go out and burn a building but I also understand when trying to speak up peacefully for decades and decades and decades has done nothing I understand completely how that anger blows up into something that's that's um beyond the ability of of people to even control it. It just, it snowballs into something on its own. Um, so just to see that it, it certainly did not put me more in a mood to go back and edit and release my silly wrestling podcast, which was already an episode that I'd kind of avoided coming back to. Um, so you get this weird thing now <laughs> where here we're starting. Uh, there's, I say starting, I mean, we're, we're barely like looking at the starting line that we're walking up to, but we are on the, we're starting to get to the point where hopefully we can find ways to heal and ideas to change the landscape here in Minneapolis, um, across the country, maybe, you know, across the world, anywhere where this, um, this police state has, has kind of infiltrated our lives. Um, Anyway, my point is we're, we're just kind of starting to get to the point where maybe we can start thinking that we're healing. Um, and so here I was like, okay, I'm ready to put out this episode. And then I go back and remember, oh, that's right. It's We're talking about all these sad things. And now in a weird way, they're dated. Um, it's very funny because like I said, I just finished editing the episode. And the last thing I say, because I'm talking about these sad events that we've been talking about with, with Shad Gaspard and Hannah Kimura, I say something like, 
you know, hopefully in our next episode, we'll just be able to talk about uh, silly old wrestling and, and nothing else bad will happen in the world. And since we recorded that episode, it feels like it's been nothing but catastrophically insane bad things. Uh, but it feels like maybe it's it's okay now to put out a, a silly wrestling podcast. I just, I would have felt weird about doing it without taking a moment to explain why uh, nowhere in this episode do we talk about um, all those events that have happened so close um, physically and spiritually to both Dave and I. Um, also, it just would have felt weird to put out an episode after the events of the last couple of weeks without saying that uh, Dave and I both firmly believe that Black Lives Matter. Um, I don't think like our politics are a secret, um, and I'm I'm tend to be an outspoken person, um, and I also have the attitude of you know what if 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 my if I have a platform and I'm not allowed to use that platform to say what I want, then what is what is the point? Like if you find it alienating to hear that Black Lives Matter, I I don't care. I guess is is the short answer to that. So there's there's many very worthy causes tied up within the the Black Lives Matter movement within the protests out there. Um, there's bail funds that may be specific to your local area. Um, I know I've given to the Minnesota Freedom Fund. That's a good one. There's um, a lot of GoFundMes for people, you know, protesters who are brutalized by police. Those are all good. Um, you know, there's plenty of places to find those. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, take up more time by running down a whole list. But um, I just wanted to say that, he, you know, there's a reason Dave and I don't talk about it in this episode. And that's simply because this was recorded before that. Um, and also just give a content warning that this episode, um, we don't describe any um suicidal ideation or activities in graphic detail or anything, but we do talk a lot about um, Hanakamura and just how we were reeling in, in the um, 24 hours or so following that announcement of her death. Um, so it's a weird time capsule episode because uh, it was two weeks ago, maybe more by now, but it feels like forever ago. Uh, and then if you consider that, you know, the interview I did with Slade Mercer came a full week before that, then that also will explain why Slade and I, I don't know that we would have gotten into that in, in what was, you know, a more lighthearted interview about his wrestling career in Australia and, and his growing up in New Zealand. Um, but that's also why none of it comes up on that interview. Um, anyway, I, I realize I'm rambling at this point and doing what I said I wouldn't do and taking up a bunch of time here at the beginning. Um, so suffice it to say, uh, I'm sorry that this episode is a bummer. But Dave and I just needed to to have that conversation, and and I don't know, maybe it'll be useful for some of you. Um, probably could have been more if I'd released it sooner to the actual events we were discussing. Uh, but I think everyone kind of understands where my head's at, and and you know how how real life interceded there. Uh, so without further ado, here's Twenty Years of Nitro, episode seventy two point five. It's our worldwide edition for January twenty seventh. 
Welcome to Where the Big Boys Play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, Worldwide Edition. Our post-Nitro bonus show where we dive into the dirt sheets and check out the other channel as we round up the week in wrestling that was January 27th through February 2nd, 1997. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, it's my quarantine colleague, Dave Amantorp. How are you doing this week, Dave? Well, Tim, it's it's really it's been a very dark and sad week in professional wrestling in 2020. Yeah. Um, so it's it'll, it'll be nice to maybe get get away from that a little bit, um, to get a break and and uh, go back to 1997 for a little bit. I think it might be a nice little little change. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, gosh, it's the um, the. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting her last name. Hana Mora? Uh, Kimura. Kimura. Yeah. In, in stardom, uh, unfortunately passed away. Shad Gaspard passed away this week. Uh, it's the anniversary of, of Owen Hart's untimely death. Mm-hmm. Um, just, yeah, a real real bummer of a week. Um, and certainly our, our thoughts go out to all of the families and friends of, of those three people. Uh, three, three seemingly, I, you know, I didn't obviously know them personally, but see... Three people that seem to have brought a lot of joy uh, to the people around him, and it's just sad. Um, you know, Owen's a, a different situation having happened a long time ago, but, mm-hmm. but just really sad to see. Um, you know, with Twitter and everything, you can see the the friends and family of these people in real time, kind of process these these awful events. And uh, it's yeah, it's been hard. I've I've actually kind of been staying off Twitter after this morning just because it was. Um, you know, I learned everything I needed to know and then just kind of felt sad. And I haven't watched it yet, but I decided uh, a way to try to, to, to change my mood a little bit. Uh, I asked you for a Hanakamura match that I could watch. And uh, when we're done recording here, I'm going to go watch that match because feels um, maybe a little more hopeful than, than dwelling upon her death would be looking upon the, the highlights of her life. Um, yeah, I, I, f- I feel like that's always like a, that's a good healthy way, I think, of approaching any sort of uh, tragedy like this, especially when it comes to, not, I mean, not someone you know, but someone that would that you're entertained by is try to look at the, the things that they did in their life that kind of like brought joy or entertainment to your to your world. So, yeah. And what's nice is, I mean, for a long time, Stardom did not really have much on their on their YouTube channel that was uh, for free. But in recent months, I really like when we turned to 2020, they put a lot up there. I, maybe it's associated with Bushy Road or Bushy Road um, taking over last year. But mm-hmm. the, there's a lot more of shows and matches and things like that on their web on their YouTube page. The only thing is it's a little difficult to look it up because a lot of it is still labeled in Japanese and not sure. and, and not in English for you to look it up easily. But yeah, the um, it is it's definitely it's um that news is something that's I'm still it, it's still like I'm having a hard time even like like my brain's just having a hard time understanding it still because every time I see that news it's sort of like how how could it be of all the people of all in all the wrestling promotions that, that happened, that this happened to this person, you know, it's just like, yeah. it's, it's just hard to grasp right now. I mean, as we're recording this, we're it's, you know, not even 24 hours, uh, since the announcement of, uh, uh, Hanakamura, Hanakamura, 
um, passing away. There's nothing even really official as to the cause of death yet. A lot of it is just being presumed. Um, and, you know, hopefully we'll get a little bit more information in the upcoming days that get a better understanding of what happened. But, yeah, it's certainly very, very sad. And just, you know, uh, just a reminder to people out there is to uh, look out for each other and, and check up on each other, especially during quarantine. I know it's it's probably made it harder for people that have mm-hmm. depression and anxiety to really make contact uh, or get con- or, or have people check on them. Um, so just, uh, just a reminder to kind of, um, to have a little bit extra concern and, and thoughtfulness for the people around you, the people, you know, just to make sure they're doing okay. Well, this is of course, another one of our bonus episodes, which always follow our nitro reviews. And this episode is a companion piece to episode 72 in which you review the January 27th, 1997 episode of Monday Nitro. Now, before we move on to everything else that happened in wrestling that week, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. And you can email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Now, it's always important to us that we start worldwide by fixing whatever we messed up in our recent past episodes. So let's issue our corrections and omissions. 20 years of Nitro. would like to make the following corrections. The following corrections. Uh, in the opening of last week's episode, I said that it was the 71st episode of Nitro, but it was the 72nd. That bothered me. <laughs> okay. Sometimes when I do something like that, I actually bring, you know, I, I get the files uh, back on my, because I record on one computer, I edit on another, and... Uh, I almost just got back in my office with the recording set up just so I could say 72nd and insert it in there because it was bothering me that much. I didn't do it. Mm. I decided to handle it through the corrections and omissions process. <laughs> so like, I just it would have bothered me to not to not mention it. Right. It's like I could fix it, but I actually I have a literal segment in which I handle yes. this. So maybe I could just do it there. Yes. Yeah, so we here at 20 Years of Nitro regret the error. <laughs> right. <laughs> The next thing that we're going to do this week is change the channel over to USA because it's time for our Raw Recap. Over on Raw, uh, Crush defeated Ahmed Johnson. There was Nation of Domination chicanery. That's obviously, you know, Ahmed Johnson's higher up the food chain. He's not going to be losing to Crush without it furthering a storyline. So uh, that was that was due to Nation BS. Well, I mean, it, uh, excuse me, isn't Crush right now? Doesn't he have the um, the the disciples of the apocalypse? Isn't he a, a faction leader? He is no. He is currently in uh, the nation, and he will soon be in DOA. DOA oh, is not a thing yet. Okay, I yeah, I, I could not. I knew that happens in '97. I couldn't remember when it was. So ma- yeah, that the makes Harris's, more sense. the Harrises were with WWF, uh, and I think they left, and they have not yet been rehired for the DOA gimmick. But it is like. <laughs> Any week now, I think, is kind of the, the case with that. They're, they're eventually going to go out and hire the, the most racist white wrestlers 
<laughs> to put together into a stable. They're like, yeah, I mean, Crush is fine, but we need we need to up it up a, just a little bit more. Talk about those two guys have the longevity uh, and personalities of cockroaches. Like, right. you will never wrestling will be an apocalyptic ruins uh like ratings will crater aew and wwf will fold mm-hmm. new japan will go under and the harrises will somehow be involved with a wrestling company somehow like you cannot stop those guys out it's it's uh it's pretty bizarre yeah. how they've able to have such a lucrative career despite i've never known anyone that liked them in any of their many carnations yeah i mean they'll still be there and they'll still have merchandise with like questionable like language or symbols <laughs> or something uh in the second match on raw davy boy smith defeated doug Furness. uh it was a, it was a pretty good match it went longer than it should have um considering that um, I mean, Davy Boy has had certainly a good run as a singles wrestler, but he's in a tag team now right. with Owen Hart. And Doug Furness is, I mean, like exclusively a tag team wrestler, except for this one match, uh, which is just furthering the feud between Furness and LaFon and uh, the tag team champions, Davy Boy Smith and Owen Hart. Mm-hmm. And then in the main event, the Godwins defeated Vader and Mankind by countout when Vader and Mankind... Uh, Oh, I watched it. What was going? There was confrontations involving Vader's opponents at uh, in your house, the four way match. Oh, okay. Um, so I think it involved like Taker and Bret Hart and Austin. They all came out and they were kind of fighting and shoving and etc. Bit of a schmoz towards the end. Yes. Okay. Yes. They also kept promoting uh, next week's Raw as, and we'll talk about it a little bit. They kept promoting that next week. Raw is going to be two hours, and the second hour, they're just going to show the Royal Rumble match from this year, from just a few weeks ago. Huh. That's weird. It is weird. It, is that, do you think that, is that their way of um, trying to get more viewers, or do you think that's a way of, like, we're not ready to book two hours of Raw just yet? That's my guess. I think that they are, okay, we are flipping the switch on going to two hours, uh, but we do we we're at this point we are a meticulously planned show mm-hmm. and and we don't have a plan for that second hour so hell let's just throw the rumble match yeah try to get Sean over a little more by seeing you know that huge it also probably helps getting that on more eyeballs uh, the Alamo Dome and how full it was you know people watching that like oh wow I'm missing out by not being part of this WWF I don't know that might be part of the thought yeah okay. That, well, that, that, that's interesting, though. It's in, that it doesn't seem like that was um, like giving away a major match from a pay per view that that quickly afterwards does not seem like it's uh, a thing WWF would be accustomed to doing at that point. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it a little bit in more recent times because uh, they were doing it with like the third hour of Raw during the quarantine. Occasionally, yeah, they'll just show like the Rumble match or some other recent pay per view match. Mm-hmm. I can't remember them ever doing anything like the closest I could think of would be like WCW replaying the Halloween Havoc main event as a make good for all the people that got screwed out of it. Right. Yeah. Uh, Dave, could you do me a quick favor? What's that? Light the torch.
talk about this fucking prick Wade Keller for a second. I didn't have a good way of f- of fooling you this week. So. Right. Well, I I was I was in the right <laughs> mindset anyway. I was ready. <laughs> uh, the biggest thing out of uh, the PW Torch would probably be uh, the announcement that Raw is going to two hours. Uh, he kind of talked about it a little bit in the issue before, and so did Meltzer. Uh, the rumblings that after the week, the the week after, or the, excuse me, the Raw after the Rumble failed spectacularly in the ratings, that that was something that uh, WWF and USA were probably likely to agree to. Uh, and indeed, they had announced that by Tuesday the 28th, uh, so eight days after that really resounding loss, uh, there's an official announcement that they are going to go to two hours. Uh, like we said, it seems like the first hour is going to be more, uh, or the first week, rather, uh, it's going to be more of a delay tactic by showing the Rumble match. Um, so that that's kind of the plan. Uh, Wade Keller also reports that uh, Raw is apparently, this is not something that they announce officially, but uh, in February, like the next time that they have planned Raw tapings that have been announced, they are going to do twice as many tapings as as they normally do what that means is normally now they do one live raw and then they immediately tape three raws after so that you're getting a live raw one in four is live right yeah yep uh but they're switching that at least for these february tapings that are coming they're switching to do one live raw and one tape raw and then so two weeks after the live raw they will be back live so they're uh, they're upping the number of live Raws. Uh, they're doubling it, essentially. So we're going to see Raw going live a lot more and uh, the two-hour format. So, like, this is, you know, they're trying to put themselves... It's still not equal footing because Nitro is live each and every week. Yeah. But Raw is trying to claw back to at least, you know, a place where, like, they're starting out on the same page and then, hey, let's see, you know, let's see who wins. Um, so that'll be interesting. It's, it's, uh, certainly I know they continue that for a long time. Uh, the only way I remember that is of course, that's, I believe they're still doing that by the time that Shivani has his famous, that'll put butts in seats comments about mankind is they're still doing a live and then a taped raw, you know, by that point, I might be wrong. There might be, it might be a specific reason why that one was taped. Um, but I believe that's what happened. I'm not sure. Uh, something that's interesting that's in the Torch and the Observer as well is they are both reporting, you know, we mentioned in our last episode, in episode 72, where we talked about Nitro with uh, Billy Starks. We talked about how that was Arn Anderson's, the last match of his, what's really his run, that he does come out of retirement for a couple short things later. But we we essentially watched Arn Anderson's last match. No one knows that uh, at the point in history that we're at, you know, essentially the, the last week of January. Yeah. Uh, all that we know, or all that Wade Keller and Dave Meltzer know anyway, is that Arn Anderson is out for right now with a hand injury. Oh, okay. What I'm assuming that's related to is, uh, I assu- you know, Arn retired because of his back. And I'm assuming that the nerves that run from, like, your neck and your back down to your your extremities, like your hands, your arms, I'm assuming it's some kind of damage there. So whereas he, at this point, thinks that it is a hand injury, it is actually probably back and nerve damage that is causing him issues with his hand. Right. Uh, but that's that's my speculation. We're going to certainly see as we read these. 
uh, dirt sheets as we go forward if, if that's really what's going on. Right. I, I, I remember that that is something that Edge talked about when he had his, his neck and spinal issues was that he was getting numbness in his hands. So when you're, mm-hmm. when you're mentioning the hand injury, I was kind of like putting two and two together with that as well. So, but our, so is the suggestion here is that he was feeling this during the match or was it something afterwards or do we know when? We don't know. Okay. No. It, for all we, for, it could have been for weeks. It could have been suddenly it's, it's not really clear. Okay. Uh, Wade Keller also says the locker room is kind of turning against Kevin Sullivan, Nancy Sullivan, and Chris Benoit for the fact that they keep trying to work the boy. Like, everyone's like, look, we know this is an angle, and they keep insisting it's not, yeah. and doing, like, their fights in public. And a lot of people are just over it, and they're getting kind of pissed <laughs> now <laughs> yeah. that they're being treated like they're stupid. Uh, Rey Mysterio has been recommended for surgery. You know, we heard that his knee was injured. He was out. They said he was going to need surgery. Then they said he was not. Apparently, it's been re-examined, and uh, they said he should get surgery, but Ray is saying that he is likely to not do it, and he's going to wrestle with a knee brace instead. So we'll see how that develops. Okay. I can only imagine the sort of uh, a pressure someone like him has in that position of <laughs> where it's like, yeah. he, I mean, as much as he's accomplished in the cruiserweight division, he probably still feels like, you know, he, that he's still on some sort of borrowed time as like a, maybe, maybe he's like, I don't even really think that of myself as like a full-time WCW wrestler. I'm more just like the, the wrestler from Mexico that gets lots of airtime. So, mm-hmm. um, he, there could be like that, that, that fear of like, if I go out, like once I'm healthy again, they might not want me anymore because he's not probably doesn't feel that established yet. So I can, it's I, an interest. Yeah. I can totally, I can totally understand his perspective of like, if I can just rehab it and get back in the ring as soon as possible, that's what I need to do. It's an interesting conundrum because on the one hand, you're young and you feel like you're invincible and like, oh, my knee hurts a little bit. That's not going to slow me down. I'm I'm a young man in my prime. On the other hand, because you're young is like when you should take it seriously, get it worked on uh-huh. and make sure it doesn't become something that bothers you for the rest of your life. Spoiler alert, Ray's knee bothers him for the rest of his life. I don't know if it's because of this decision right here, uh, but I do know that Ray's knee is something that is a constant plague upon him. Mm -hmm. Kevin Green says that he is waiting for permission from Carolina Panthers head coach Don Capers to take part in more WCW uh, action in the offseason. Capers said in the Charlotte Observer, quote, I haven't given him a final decision it's something Kevin wants to do. It's something he feels could help him later on in his career after football. Uh, Capers also said that uh, Green has promised him that he won't get hurt. <laughs> sure. Easy thing to say. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, they're they're working on uh, getting something set up, and we'll see if that happens or not. It's like he has a, he has a match, and he blows his knee out, and Dom Capers is like, wait a minute. He yeah. gave me his word he wouldn't get injured. <laughs> I it's I mean it's something like I don't maybe I don't know if it was like that at the time but nowadays it would be like you have to sign all these papers that says that like the football team's not 
doesn't have to compensate you for injury if you do it like in a non-football related sort of deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it would be a whole thing. Well, I mean, like, um, what was uh, like D'Angelo Williams when he wrestled that one match for TNA? I don't remember if he was like actually unsigned at that point or what that circumstance was. But the, oh, like uh, Pac-Man Jones is a better example. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Because uh, he wanted to go in and wrestle and it became like such an issue with uh, I believe it was with the Bengals at that time that mm-hmm. he ended up like being tag team champion without ever being tagged in. <laughs> it, it just was like a complete ended up being a complete joke. So, mm-hmm. yep. uh, but it's, it's, it's interesting to see like back then to see how um, the team's reacting to it at that point. Um, and then maybe when you get closer to the summer, when he's actually able to get into the ring, if they're going to change the tune or anything like that. In the torches section on WWF news, uh, Wade Keller reports that the WWF is negotiating to bring in Dennis Rodman to be in some kind of involvement where he's going to be in gold dust corner at WrestleMania. It might even set up a program that lasts until SummerSlam. Uh, hmm. But he does note here at the end of that little news item that WCW might be willing to match the WWF's offer. Now, I wonder how is this just because he's a such a big fascination or did Dennis Rodman kind of say, like, I'm interested in doing a wrestling thing? Do we do we know why both of these companies are suddenly interested in him? That's a great question. I I think think and i'm gonna feel embarrassed because someone probably knows this and they're listening right now i think he had some kind of previous involvement with wcw even before this mm-hmm. uh so i don't know how that initial one got set up but i think that's ultimately why they're able to get him and not wwf is that there is some kind of prior relationship between the two um, unless it's just that the nba has been on turner forever and that's more of the connection I- i'm not that's a good question, and when we get closer to Rodman being brought in, I I promise to do a good job of describing how that deal kind of all gets together. Yeah, I mean, it'll just it'll be interesting because like I remember at the time, I never really thought about like how it ended up being Dennis Rodman, other than like I I knew that he was like one of the biggest names in basketball at the time. So if you're yeah. if you're looking for a basketball player to come in, he would be high up on the list. I just don't know how. Like, yeah, I mean, especially since you're saying that WWF was also interested, there has to be something there where he made it apparent that, like, he wanted to do something wrestling related. So, sure, sure. But, yeah, like you said, we still have uh, some time before he makes any sort of appearance and then we could get it. We could sort it out later. Al Snow is going away from the Leaf Cassidy character that's uh, being shelved and he is going to be some kind of masked wrestler. Uh, who Wade Keller says is apparently going to be called the world's greatest Mexican wrestler. Hmm. Uh, that that's I, maybe that was talked about at one point, but I it ends up being like Avatar the Ninja or whatever. Right. <laughs> so it's nothing. It's like fake Asian, not fake Mexican. <laughs> by the time it actually debuts, right? <laughs> Just <laughs> they're going to give him the gimmick that is called the definitely a Mexican wrestler guy. <laughs> Uh, And last, I just wanted to highlight this quote in an AOL chat. This is something that Bret Hart said about Shawn Michaels as their issues. Uh, This is very clear. This is one of those times where, like, this is not this is not very much in character. I mean, it's not out of character, but this is this is Bret Hart, the man speaking for sure. 
There's part of me that just wants to shake him, uh, him being HBK, and tell him that he doesn't need to be such a jerk all the time. Sean has described me as a person who's equally arrogant and obnoxious as he is, and reflecting on that, it's hard to disagree with him. <laughs> <laughs> but I know Sean has made references to me having some kind of dark, shady past while I've been on the road. I'm not sure what he's talking about, but people in glass houses should not throw stones. I have nothing to hide about anything I've ever done to anybody anywhere. <laughs> we know from reading Brett's book that that's not true. He has plenty to hide about his behavior on the road. Right, yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of funny that here he's still insisting like he's an angel, you know. Yeah, no, they, they're both throwing stones from their glass houses. Just like <laughs> totally. Just directly at each other's glass houses. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, there's uh, neither in this few between them. It's not like no one's going to have the moral high ground, you know, Bo mm -hmm. both of them have definitely done things that they would say that they later regretted. I mean, but uh, no, I mean, we're just <laughs> with Brett and Sean, we are just getting started. <laughs> uh, lastly, from the torch, I've got a uh, Brett Hart went on in that AOL chat. This is a quote regarding Hulk Hogan which is why I bring it up. Uh, he said, quote, I would like to wrestle as long as possible until I reach a point in time where I see myself becoming an embarrassment, an old pathetic embarrassment, much like Hulk Hogan. <laughs> it, would be, it would be too much to envision me plodding along like him and many others in WCW. Mm. Prophetic words. Yep. <laughs> yep. Well, with that out of the way, that brings us to a little segment that we like to call... Observe this. Observe this, brother! This is what we call a rag sheep. Over in the Wrestling Observer, Dave Meltzer reports that Randy Savage's new deal with World Championship Wrestling involves less dates than his last one and pays him around $1 million per year, uh, which is, of course, as we, as we know, living in the future, that's Minus whatever gets paid to Lanny Poffo as part of, like, Randy's deal may be worth uh, a million, but I think, like, 300000 just goes to Lanny Poffo as a separate, uh, quote-unquote, separate deal. Oh, sure, <laughs> yeah. To just pay him to sit at home and have some amount of pride because the, the check comes from a technically an employer and not from his brother, I guess. Mm -hmm. Of course, as we also know, that's largely offset by the Slim Jim endorsement money that Randy Savage brings with him. So, like, WCW can afford to pay him more because they get, I think, almost half of it back in the form of endorsement money. Um, some, just something to mention, because I did recently watch the um, Dark Side of the Ring, that, that episode from season one that's about Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen that one. I have not. Um, but it's, I mean, if you're taking... Um, what Dark Side of the Ring says at face value and for being the truth, um, they kind of made a point of when Savage went to WCW that, I mean, because there's a whole thing about him getting this money for Lanny Poffel, uh, but also that he basically insisted on a deal for Miss Elizabeth for her to be making something. Um, oh, yeah, I've, I've heard that as well, that he is the reason she was brought in was that he got his ex-wife. Uh, a spot there and and, and if we a number of people will, will say that randy never um stopped being in love uh, with elizabeth and 
I don't want to gloss over the other stuff that was in that Dark Side of the Ring. Yeah. I, I haven't seen it, but I'm sure they touch on his abusive nature and stuff as well. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to. I just want to make sure I'm not painting a only rosy picture. But yeah, he went out of his way to get his ex-wife a job, uh, because he just he wanted to make sure she was looked out for. Yeah, and and just I mean he kind of uh, comes across as someone that like he feels responsible for still care take ca- taking care of and caring for her even after mm-hmm. they split up. You know, it's I mean it I probably just goes back to like just his general possessive nature when it came to her. As it was, yeah. and because he probably is like, well, I'll be the one to find her a job, basically. <laughs> sure. That sort of thing. So, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting study and, you know, people aren't uh, black and white. Like, there was a lot of good and bad sides to the man and to their relationship in general. The NWO is getting a good push on the New Japan Pro Wrestling Tour that started on January 29th. Uh, In the main event of that show, Buff Bagwell and Scott Norton defeated Kensuke Sasaki and Satoshi Kojima. And notably, it was Bagwell getting the pin on Kojima, which was considered a big surprise given kind of the pecking order over there. And, Hmm. uh, you know, so that's that's an endorsement that New Japan is willing to give Bagwell a little bit of a push or or at least they're willing to take these visiting NWO guys seriously. Also of note on that tour on January 31st, Hiroyoshi Tenzan joined the NWO. Oh, starting to grow that NWO Japan stable. Yeah. The WWF is claiming a 0.8 buy rate for the Royal Rumble, while other sources say a 0.6. Either way, even if you take the WWF at their word, that's a drop of 20% from 1996. Mm-hmm. On the February 1st show at the ECW Arena, Paul Heyman officially announced the barely legal pay-per-view to the fans. Uh, he also took some shots at WCW for scheduling a show that's in Philadelphia the very next night. The night after uh, barely legal Nitro is in Philadelphia. So he was saying that they're, it's going to be impossible to follow their show. Why Why should WCW even try? Right. <laughs> On January 31st, AAA held a show in Mexico City with some WWF guys on the card, including Fake, Razor, and Diesel. Uh, they no-sold the Mexican stars all night. They they like f- Fake, Razor, and Fake Diesel big-timed the local stars of AAA. Oh, my. Which is it's kind of funny because Antonio Pena had made those comments about how their deal with WWF is better than Conan's with WCW. Like... You know, we actually get to wrestle their stars, and Conan's guys just wrestle each other. Well, like, yeah, their guys show up in Mexico, in your hometown. It's not even televised in America, and there's still no selling you. Right. <laughs> Pena was also named the president of WWF Latino, which seems to only be a thing they made up because Conan is close to a deal to air a show called WCW Latino, which he would book and run. So it's just like giving him a title that Conan might get for himself and the other company. Wow. It's just a total pissing match. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Pena also went out of his way to bury Bischoff in the Mexican press as a second-rate announcer who doesn't understand wrestling. He also buried Kevin Sullivan as an old man who is only on TV because he's the booker, and Nancy Sullivan as an untalented woman who only has a job thanks to her marriage. That's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, I don't want to see Kevin Sullivan wrestle, but Nancy Sullivan's great. And, uh, you know, S- Sullivan, 
I don't like him because I think he looks like a big baby and there's other people I'd prefer to see. Mm-hmm. But like his his program is getting huge crowd reactions. Like there's no doubt that the stuff with Benoit, uh, the stuff in the bars and behind the scenes is dumb. Yeah. But and and the mystery, like weird illusions and the storyline are always weird. But the matches, the crowd is always into those matches. You can't say he's only there because he's the booker. The the crowd is very much into what's going on. Right. Uh, this is, I don't normally include a lot of indie news, but I thought this was funny. Uh, Dave notes in the observer, there was a group called soul city wrestling running somewhere in the Northeast part of the country. And, uh, last week they ran a quote, beat the whiteies night where black wrestlers faced white heels in every match. (laughs) Good stuff. Oh, classic. A press conference was held on January 27th to introduce the son of Tiger Jeet Singh to the WWF. Uh, He's normally known as Tiger Jeet Singh Jr., but one of Vince's weird things is he hates the term junior, probably because he's, you know, uh, he's not technically a junior because there's Vincent Kennedy and Vincent... um, Oh, what's Vince Sr.'s middle name? It's I don't think it's Kennedy. Anyway, the point is Vince has a weird problem with Junior. It's just one of those weird Oedipal things that goes back to his childhood that pisses him off. Mm-hmm. So uh, Tiger Jeet Singh Jr. will instead be Tiger Ali Singh in the WWF. Terry Funk's swear-filled promo that we talked about on a recent Shotgun Saturday night uh, that got the show pushed back from 11 p.m. to midnight in New York, one of the biggest media markets in the world. Nice. So, uh, yeah, their raunchier product is getting them in hot water pretty quick. Oh, and also uh, his father was Vincent James McMahon. That's it. Thank you. Yeah, I knew it was Vincent J and Vincent K, but I couldn't think of what the J was. Yeah. Uh, Bret Hart. <laughs> so in the torch, we talked about him on AOL. In The Observer, we talk about some comments he made in the Calgary Sun. Uh, He said about Hulk Hogan, quote, WCW has something far worse than bad referees. I assume elsewhere in the comment he was talking about bad referees. He just said, uh, they have something far worse than bad referees. They have Hulk Hogan. Hogan lost his flair so long ago that it boggles my mind why people would want to tune into that. Watching Watching myself plod along like Hogan an old pathetic embarrassment would be too much for me to take. When I walk out, whether it's three months from now or three years from now, I will hold my head high. Perhaps the strongest reason I didn't go to WCW is because I pictured myself getting lost in the shuffle in a deck of cards filled with Hulk Hogan. Boy. One thing about the WWF in contrast to WCW is that we almost always take their previous stars and make them brighter, and they take our stars and make them dimmer. I'm sure Diesel and Razor are quickly finding out what it's like to be on the Hulk Hogan show. They smile when they go to the bank, but they cry themselves to sleep. Man, that is some intense foreshadowing. (laughs) He's so right about all of that, except for the part about Diesel and Razor crying themselves to sleep. (laughs) Like, that's such a fun, it's such a fundamental misunderstanding of like, it's Brett thinking everyone's like him. Mm Mm-hmm. And thinking that Scott Hall and Diesel and, and, and Kevin Nash are going to bed thinking like, oh, my character is not doing the stuff I want him to do. The part he's right about is they laugh when they go to the bank. Yeah. And for those guys, that's about where it stops. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, I mean, I know, I know Scott Hall for sure is like one of the best known for like not 
really given a fuck what they do with him. You know, as long as the check clears, he didn't care. Uh, it's interesting because he's a I think he's a creative guy with a lot of great ideas. Yeah. But if you don't listen to him, he's like, whatever, man, I'm getting paid. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like he's a guy who doesn't have thoughts on where his character should go or what his character should do. Yeah. It's just like if you override him, it, as long as the check clearing, he's perfectly happy. Whatever, man, you're the boss. Yeah. It's it's very interesting. It's a. Uh, you know, you normally kind of get one or the other. The guys who are happy to collect a check are the guys who aren't throwing out their own ideas. Or the guys who are throwing out their ideas are like Brett, and they're going to undervalue themselves because as long as you're giving them the creative uh, um, success they want, they don't really mind the financial piece as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, definitely Scott Hall, and to a degree Nash, I think are are a blend of both a little bit. Over in our Saturday night results, Glacier defeated Ace Darling, uh, who we saw on Nitro as part of that uh, extreme tag team. Yeah. The Amazing French Canadians defeated High Voltage. Disco Inferno defeated Trevor Allen. Alex Wright defeated Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. Ultimo Dragon defeated Super Colo. That was a fun match. It was pretty long for a Saturday night match, too. Uh, so I watched that one. Uh, unfortunately, I got distracted by stuff around the house. I have not yet watched Lex Luger defeating La Parca, although I still plan to. Oh, gotcha. And in the main event, Harlem Heat defeated the Public Enemy, getting revenge for their loss against Public Enemy on Saturday night last week. And that was your results from Saturday night. Before we close the show with what excites us out in the world or any of our quarantine recommendations, whatever we feel like talking about, it is time for our Lee Marshall Indie our Lee Marshall Memorial Road Report Indie... I don't even remember all the words <laughs> in this anymore. The Lee Marshall Memorial Indie Road Report. I think that's what it's called. <laughs> you should probably... <laughs> this is, of course... You should probably write that down for future reference. <laughs> this is, of course, where I talk to an independent wrestler currently out of work because of COVID-19. Uh, you know, I've really tried to stretch out and talk to people from all over the United States, and uh, this was a fun one because... Uh, I talked to Slade Mercer, who is a wrestler all the way in Melbourne, Australia. Hmm. He is from uh, he's from New Zealand. He's a Kiwi, as we talk about. We talk about one of the things we get to is is Kiwi a derogatory term? Is that something? Is that like I had to ask? Is that like your word or can I say as a Kiwi wrestler? You know, we talk about that. <laughs> it was fun. Uh, I asked a bunch of stupid American like, so uh, what about uh, Flight of the Concords? They're funny, right? You'll you'll hear all my dumb <laughs> questions, but. <laughs> The toilet but I, thing. <laughs> I just oh I didn't ask I should I should ask about the southern hemisphere toilet flushing. Right. Uh, but I just never get to talk to someone from New Zealand or Australia. So it was really fun. We talked about that. We talked about uh, he's been in Japan wrestling for all Japan pro wrestling and and kind of what that was like and the reverence that he has for Japan. Uh, thoughts on the Australian independent scene. Uh, what what currently COVID is like over there. Uh, so it was a really interesting conversation. Overall, the audio is pretty good. Uh, Warn people ahead of time. There's a little bit of like feedback or something on his end in a couple parts. Um, and I generally don't go and, and edit out all the little things that nag-, nag me on these interviews. It's just a lot easier to just drop it in. Um, so I hope everyone will uh, forgive me for any audio mistakes. But uh, here is my interview with Slade Mercer. <laughs>
My guest today is a New Zealand-born wrestler currently based in Melbourne, Australia, who has wrestled on three continents. You may have seen him in Warzone Wrestling Australia, Showdown Wrestling, All Japan Pro Wrestling, and more. Please welcome to the show Slade Mercer. How are you doing today, Slade? I'm very well. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, how are you? I'm doing good, you know, trying to keep busy. It's uh, It's been a lot of fun. Uh, as we've been in quarantine, we've reached out. We've talked to a lot of different independent wrestlers, and I've tried to, with all the responses we got, people that said they'd be interested in coming along uh, on the show and talking about WCW and Nitro, or just talking about wrestling in general, I've tried to space it out geographically throughout the United States based on, you know, who responded from where. And so when I saw that we had... Somebody, uh, you know, who got in touch being you from from Melbourne, I thought, well, what a fantastic chance to to hear about how this is affecting people completely on the other side of the globe where I got to be honest, I don't even know the first thing about the the Australia independent wrestling scene is like. So uh, thanks for coming on. And I'm I'm interested to hear what you got to say. I appreciate it. No, you're welcome. And I'll be happy to give you and all of your listeners an insight into what it's like out here in Australia for the uh, independent wrestling scene. Now, obviously, the first thing I have to ask, I realize it's unlikely, but as I am technically talking to you, and you are, from my perspective, in the future, you are on Saturday, May 16th, I'm still back here on the 15th, uh, have they discovered some kind of cure for coronavirus yet? Is there a vaccine in the future? Uh, sadly, not yet. Uh, I can confirm that in the last 12 <laughs> hours or so. Uh, Damn. Yeah, nothing yet. Uh, still pretty pretty crazy times everywhere. <laughs> um, what's going on? Um, the way I don't I I'm not sure how it works in America, but uh, in Australia we have a federal government as well as state governments, and the state governments, the federal governments made a, a sort of plan and said this is what you can do, but the state governments are deciding how and when they execute it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the state in which I live is the uh, slowest of all of them to sort of roll out that plan so um in terms of uh you know venues opening and restaurants starting to have people in it um that'll be still a long time off um and then obviously the next thing is then live events and, and professional wrestling so um yeah very very interesting times yeah i was looking at the statistics for Australia, just out of curiosity, right before the call, and I saw there, as of the last time the site I was looking at was updated, there's still, you know, there's a few thousand cases, and, and as we've seen with this, there's probably more than certainly are actually registered on the, you know, confirmed cases list, but the deaths were still under 100, so it seems like, seems like it's kind of going okay there, comparatively to somewhere, I think, like the States, where... Uh, we've got areas that are acting like everything is kind of fine, but if you actually look at the numbers, we're continuing to just climb and climb and climb. Yeah, there are some very, very scary statistics coming out of um, certain parts of, of America, that's true. Um, the, the key for us um, is, is the population density just isn't as high as it is for guys in places like you know New York and Los Angeles where people are almost stacked on top of each other. Um, so at least in our instances, we have high numbers in the city centers, but Australia is quite spaced out, especially in terms of the wider population. Mm. Um, but the, the real key for it all is that people are quite good with applying the social distancing and, and businesses were swift to, uh, start people working from home and things of that nature. 
Um, but people are anxious to get back to it, um, in particular, um, trying to get the government and, and the economy going again as uh, is, is one of the big priorities they're trying to get running again. So pre-coronavirus, pre all this stuff, what was the Australia scene like? Um, and maybe compare it, you know, what is it like in 2020 or early 2020 <laughs> anyway, compared to say the last 30 years, is it a scene on the rise? Is it kind of been what it's been for a long time or, or just what's, what's it like out there? Sure. So, um, a short history of the Australian scene, and this is coming from a, a New Zealander. So, um, I may get, uh, roasted by certain <laughs> historians, but from what I, from what I understand, the short history Australia had a reasonably storied history throughout the 70s and 80s and early 90s um, with certain wrestlers, uh, guys like Mark Lewin and, and King Curtis, who went over to WCW sure, um, yep. and uh, into America, and then into the late 90s and early 2000s, it sort of fell off a little bit. Um, and then there was an incident quite famously that happened here, a match where there was a barbed wire rope match and it sort of hit mainstream media and for a long time wrestling was quite, um, quite negatively viewed. So okay. there was a, there was a, there was a, a down period throughout the early two thousands where wrestling sort of had to rebuild as an independent scene. Um, but if, if we go from then to now, uh, you see there's a lot of, professional wrestlers internationally. Even if you just start with the WWE, you look at a lot of Australian-born uh, and trained professional wrestlers like Buddy Murphy, like the Iconics, um, and then scores more down in NXT. And then you look at other promotions and you look at other countries as well where people have come from this scene or started in this scene and are doing well. Um, it's just not known, I guess, as well internationally because it's just not seen, you know. It's just one mm -hmm. of those types of things but um australians love professional wrestling they love what we call a bit of biffo biffo being i guess a bit of a bit of punching a bit of kicking a bit of fighting um <laughs> it's just sort of that australian spirit i think so it is um it is growing and i think here um people appreciate the independent scene separate to you know the wwe um mm -hmm. the biggest show they had out here if you recall the wwe recently did their super showdown and that yep. was the mcg um which is about seventy thousand fans something like that seventy two thousand perhaps so um they are aware there's an audience here they are aware that there's a lot of talent here um and i guess the next step now is for these local companies here to be able to consistently draw high numbers um i guess if people drew comparisons to it people kind of view it like a fledgling version of the british scene um, the only difference I would say between the two from personal experience having been to England is that the key with the British scene and why people are able to get uh, to so many shows and why professional wrestlers, independent wrestlers are able to get known by so many audiences so quickly, again, population density, there's a lot of people in small areas, but also it's a shorter distance between city centres. Mm -hmm. You can go from London to Manchester in the space of about four to five hours and you could open a show in london and main event a show in manchester on the same night right. that's not possible in australia i mean you could potentially work like in one area of a city and then drive across the city 
and then work in another area that night. And there are certain cities in this country that have three, four, five promotions where people do end up working a double duty on a night for two shows. Um, but you'd never see somebody, for example, work in Melbourne uh, and then work in Sydney the same night because it's just the distances are too great. Now, I'm curious, being from New Zealand originally, is there what, if any, is the wrestling scene there? Because I, I think, you know, we can certainly think of um, Jay White, probably the most current prolific uh, or prominent, I should say, um, Kiwi wrestler out there. And then before that, I mean, I just off the top of my head, I'd have to go back to like the sheep herders before that. But uh, are those is it everyone from there is kind of going to the bigger city centers in Australia to work? Or is there actually some some promotions that run in New Zealand? There are some promotions that run in New Zealand. So New Zealand is where I, I started uh, and was trained, and I did have uh, training from one half of the Bushwhackers uh, from Butch Miller. Oh, that's awesome. And, yeah, and also another WCW wrestler, Rip Morgan. So, oh, okay. um, sure. yeah, so I was lucky to have training from those guys, so I sort of learned the right way from the very beginning. But um, there is there are companies there, and the, the scene is growing. Uh, it sort of grows hand in hand with the Australian scene, and you are right. The certain um, there are wrestlers that will come across. Uh, they some will move permanently, some will come across. Uh, you know, now and again to do shows. Um, some guys will take their chances outside. There are wrestlers who have left New Zealand and other gone to other Japanese companies, gone to England, um, gone to Mexico. So. Um, it is growing. Uh, it's just not, you know, not nearly as big. Um, I mean, population-wise, uh, Australia has. Oh, well, I don't know the Australian population actually off the top of my head. The Melbourne population is around four million people where I live, uh, and the population of New Zealand is about the same. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, in terms of like the amount of people you can get to shows and city centres and things, it's it's far far less, but. Definitely growing there. And people in New Zealand love it too. Like um, my generation, like we'll talk about, um, we grew up watching WCW Nitro because it was what was on. It was the wrestling that we grew up on as kids. So I'm interested when you say that. Are you saying that Raw wasn't an option in New Zealand? It was Nitro was the wrestling that was on? So Raw was an option, but Raw was on pay television. Oh, so, but whereas Nitro was on free to wear, so I mean, if you had the if you had what we what was called Sky Television in New Zealand at the time, then yeah, you could watch WWE Raw or was WWF at the time. Um, but WCW would air free to wear on one of the regular channels. So, um, from what I recall, the Raw because I, I we didn't have pay TVs in uh, my family, so mm-hmm. um, Raw would air at like eight o'clock at night, no, a pretty premium time on um, on the pay television. But WCW Nitro would air anywhere between like midnight and one a.m. on a Friday night after like a slate of those really corny and like because I watched them as a child, uh, the iconic now those sort of nineties action. Uh, one hour sort of uh, television shows like Renegade and Viper and things like <laughs> yeah, that. You know, yes. Yeah. So, like, uh, um, it was like those shows would all play, and it was always Renegade. It was always Renegade was on, and then when Renegade was finished, it was Nitro. So, uh, all you had to do was sit through Renegade. So, um, 
yeah, it was it was good. And that's what a lot of kids would do. Like I guess like me, we'd all stay up past our bedtimes to watch Nitro. Um, and from memory, it wasn't really in much of an order. I don't know what kind of order they got the tapes in, if they just got them and played them when they got them. Um, but, yeah, that was what got me started in, uh, in my love for professional wrestling. That uh, that just sounds like perfect teenage boy activity there. It's late Friday. Your family's all asleep. You're staying up. You're watching cheesy syndicated shows, and then you're <laughs> watching wrestling. That's that is like that's just such a perfect encapsulation of being uh, the age that I was on, at least when Nitro was on. I'm 37 now, just to give you some idea. But like, yeah, I remember uh, we definitely would just watch. I mean, Monday nights was a different thing, but just like all the sort of stuff that was on late night on the USA network, which was the the cable network that USA was here or and you could say similar about um, TNT that Nitro was on just all sorts of like a 13 year old boy staying up late on a Friday. That's that's those are the perfect type of channels to be watching. It was fantastic. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And and it was funny because when I then. Uh, started professional wrestling training and I started to talk to these guys who were also uh, wrestlers and obviously similar ages to me. We all had similar stories because that was all how we all uh, sort of cut our teeth and, and found out about wrestling and um, and fell in love with it. So is it, uh, was it pretty popular amongst the, the kids at school or was it the kind of thing where there's three or four wrestling fans, you don't talk about it too much because you don't want to get made fun of? Uh, what was the level of popularity? Uh, when I was growing up, it was very popular. Uh, so when I first, I would have started watching it when I would have been about seven or eight years old. Um, and that was right around, uh, 1997, 1998. So, um, like right around there was all, all of the stuff, every, all the kids at school were like, Oh yeah, I'm NWO, you're Wolfpack, all of this sort of stuff. Um, and I mean, it was cool up until a certain point, and I think that sort of applies for everybody. And if I if I recall, I remember it being cool. Like I was from about eight years old till about maybe thirteen or fourteen, and it was like, oh yeah, you know, it's fake, and you know that sort of thing kicked in. Um, I ended up picking up later. Uh, a couple of years later, when like Brock Lesnar came on the scene, someone like told me about this guy Brock Lesnar, and I had to see it, and they gave me a tape, and and I fell back in love with wrestling again. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it was uh, it was massive for us as kids. Um, and yeah, the amount of school ground playtime fights and um, all sorts of yeah tag team matches we would have. Yeah, it was big. Um, especially because I think it, it in the same way that it appeals to Australians, it appeals to New Zealanders. Um, you know, a lot of we all played rugby growing up, very physical. Uh, so wrestling was, you know, it wasn't far off rugby, to be fair. Who are some of the favorites from that era, of Nitro, who stuck stand out in your memory? So randomly, like I remember the very first match I ever saw, like it just happened to turn on uh, the the channel and, and wrestling was on and it was super carlo and not a lot of people remember super carlo but like as a kid he looked great with his cool like mask. oh we love him yeah he's great isn't he just and he's a fantastic wrestler like he, he really was, is underrated you go back and look at it now and you go wow he was actually really good <laughs> so um so yeah like as a kid i remember watching a super carlo match and and that was it and i got hooked um 
my favorite and still to this day is Rey Mysterio. And like he's the pinnacle of, of you know, what would attract a kid to professional wrestling. Um, bright colors. He wears this mask. He looks superhuman. He flies around. And the stuff he was doing um, was just unreal. And so uh, he was one. Um, another big favorite was Dean Malenko. Um, we'll probably get into it, but like my favorite, favorite moment uh, was the whole Dean Malenko, Chris Jericho feud leading up to uh, the Rumble and, and that entire run was just, yeah, I mean, because that was peak for me as a kid. Um, yeah. Watching, you know, my favorite, my hero, unable to fight for the championship that he, he lost, all of the stuff. Um, so, yeah, and, like, even though, like, as it is now, as a professional wrestler, I'm six foot four and about 250 pounds. So, like, I'm nowhere near uh, a Rey Mysterio or a Dean Malenko, but, like, that was just the stuff that I loved growing up to watch. And when I go back and watch now, I can appreciate the likes of Kevin Nash. I can appreciate uh, another one, DDP, just incredible professional wrestler. Um, you've, had, you've had kind of the inverse of most people's experiences because often it's small guys watching wrestling and thinking, gosh, I'd like to do that, but those guys are three feet taller than me. They're 100 pounds heavier here you're actually a big guy and you grew up idolizing the small guys i think that's interesting it was a very yeah it was a it was an odd thing like um and the sort of realization when i started professional wrestling and like the the ability and level of agility it took to do a lot of that stuff was like, okay well i guess that's not for me uh and then on to you know my my style and the way i work now but like i think if anything it gives me a greater appreciation for it uh, as well as a better ability to understand when I work with that level of worker, the kind of um, positioning and the kind of um, things that they require out of a, a out of a guider in order to do that type of stuff. Sure. So was it watching WCW at that age that you thought, was there an inkling in your head like, hey, I might like to do this? Or was that kind of something that came up later, as you said, when you kind of got back into it in the in the early Lesnar days? It was back when I got into it again. So um, I'd always loved it as a kid. And then, like I say, I fell away from it. And then uh, my friend got me. It was, uh, again, WWE was still on pay television. I didn't have pay television. And this was into the mid-2000s. Obviously, WCW is already long gone at this point. So there's no wrestling on free-to-air television. So my friends uh, at school, at high school, they start talking about this guy, Brock Lesnar about how like he's beating everybody up and all this crazy stuff. And so my friend, he um, records it on a, on a VHS for me and he gives it to me at school and I take it home and I remember watching it and I don't, I don't, I don't know what it was. Cause like Brock Lesnar is something else. Brock Lesnar is, he's not just a professional wrestler. Brock Lesnar is a freak of a human being. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. So like for me to look at that guy and think, Oh yeah, I can do what he does. Like, no, I don't know what, how that happened. Like, <laughs> I distinctly remember sitting on a couch and, and watching Brock Lesnar come out and it was just something about his demeanor and just watching him walk to the ring. And I was like, I think I could do that. And and that was pretty much it. And that was at the age of 15. And I mean, obviously you, you met with uh, jeers and, and um, a lot of negative comments when you sort of start to espouse to everyone and anyone that you want to be a professional wrestler. But I guess, I kind of knew at that point, um, and I've been doing it since. Uh, and I think 
I'm not sure whether people are surprised or people are like just I don't know I don't know what people think like it, it I, I feel like I'm lucky to have found what I wanted to do uh, at least in terms of a passion uh, so early on in life that I was able to put so much time and energy into it because I know oftentimes you hear a lot of stories from guys who are like oh, I wish I'd started younger um, and I guess I'm just lucky that I, I sort of clicked that this is what I wanted to do and and I, I absolutely love it so how old were you when you went off to wrestling school i was 17 so uh i finished high school and i made a deal with my parents they i was talking crazy talk i was talking like i'm gonna jump on a plane to america at 17 and like go to a wrestling school and like do all this and that like i don't know i don't know what i thought uh but my parents were like well we'll make you a deal how about you go to college or university as we would call it in new zealand and you can pick a university in a town that also has a wrestling school and then you can do both. Then you can like study and, you know, train to be a wrestler on the side. And I guess this is their thought of a compromise and they're thinking that it's perhaps just a phase or something I'll, I'll forget about. So I end up finding a town you know, the, uh, where I grew up doesn't have much of a university. So it's about five hours away from where I grew up uh, by car. And uh, it had a university and it also had a professional wrestling promotion with a school. And that's where I got my start. Um, at the time, the school uh, it was called WPW or Wellington Pro Wrestling, uh, based in Wellington in New Zealand, um, run by a man called Martin Sterling, who was a former professional wrestler in New Zealand as well as a sumo wrestler. Oh, wow. uh, very, yeah, very strong man. Um, I've seen him rip a phone book up with his hands type thing. Like, mm. <laughs> um, so yeah, a lot of respect for Martin. And that was also where I met guys like I met Rip, um, I met Butch, um, and a lot of the old hands, uh, we didn't, I didn't mention it before, but, um, similar to Australia, New Zealand has quite a history, um, background in professional wrestling. The, the most famous match to have ever occurred in New Zealand was Harley Race versus Ric Flair for the NWA world title. And that happened, and the stories go that the title changed hands and uh, the results said that it didn't. But I think there's a lot of uh, stuff said about that, that back in the days they actually did flip the title and they just didn't say it in the paper on the next day. So they would yeah. flip the title to get the result and get the cheer from the crowd. But then the next day they would publish the opposite result. <laughs> then, like, so apparently that was quite commonplace. So it wouldn't have surprised me if the title changed hands from Rick to from Harley to Rick rather. And, sure. Uh, yeah, just for the for the pop. Um, so that was that was New Zealand's biggest moment. That was in the seventies, and it had a really popular run through the eighties. Um, when it came off of television is when it sort of died away. And throughout the nineties, it was pretty lackluster. And then, not unlike the Australian scene throughout the early 2000s that's when i got my start i started in 2005 which seems really long ago now <laughs> uh, um i started in 2005 and that was like my generation of guys that had started there was a generation just before me that had started to sort of get things going but then it was like my generation and the generation after that really kicked it up um and and it's been going sort of like that ever since so do you see, uh, is there like a feeling of obligation to stay and try to help build the scene there? Or is it something where, you know, if the opportunity came to, 
move to America and do do some time over here, or move to the UK and do some time over there. Uh, you know, I saw you you've done some wrestling in the UK and in Japan, which you know is certainly another option. Uh, would you jump at the chance to move and try something new, or are you trying to you know help help build the scene there along with all the other people that have put so much time and work into it? So that's an interesting question because I do remember that when I left, there was a lot of resentment around me leaving. Um, and I mean, I, I, back when I left, I was probably one of the first to sort of do that and sort of say, no, I'm going to go and try this. Um, and I didn't look back. Like I haven't been back to New Zealand since then. Uh, mm. I was two years in Australia, two years in England, and then back here to Australia for the last four in between as you say, trips to Japan. Um, so and there is a level or I guess maybe even a, a certain expectation that guys do stay behind and build it. And I was involved behind the scenes of the company that I was with in terms of uh, assisting with training, assisting with booking and things of that nature. Um, but I felt like it was what I needed to do. And since then, I think guys have sort of, learned and seen what can happen like i guess i was almost the litmus test in that regard if i had backed myself and gone overseas and then fell on my face and come back with my tail in between my legs well they would have been justified in their resentment um as that wasn't the case now they've seen oh well i guess that is a possibility that is an avenue that is is possible uh mm -hmm. and you know it doesn't uh mean that anybody who chooses to stay behind and apply their talents and use those to help the next generation coming through or any better or any worse than anybody who chooses to leave the country and, and try and do something else with their professional wrestling. Uh, it's just two sides of the same uh, coin. So the it's much of a muchness. I guess I think nowadays guys will try and Australia is a really good option for New Zealanders because it's a short trip uh, they can come along they can either just come over for say a long weekend uh, get a couple shows in it's not often uh, you'll see when there's what we call a long weekend like a Monday where it's a public holiday and then a couple companies will probably run on a weekend so it's a chance for someone to come over get a couple shows in on a weekend make some contacts go back home and then maybe decide oh was this for me is this what I want to do is this the next step I want to take um, and again, if things go bad, like for example, with all this coronavirus stuff, I've seen a lot of people that were based in England, people that were based in Mexico, based in other parts of the world that have had to go back to New Zealand because they can't support themselves without the professional wrestling going on. So um, I think if, if you're a professional wrestler from New Zealand and this is something you were thinking about doing and trying to get yourself out there, then Australia is a, a good transition and an easy option. So I'm curious, uh, the time in Japan, how did it come about that you wound up with All Japan Pro Wrestling? What was it like wrestling there? And, uh, you know, it's just even going back to, I mean, frankly, before Nitro, but just, uh, you know, we're a Nitro podcast and we watch that that era and that's kind of where we're at. But they talk reverently about Japan even then. And you see with the deal they had with New Japan, you know, come Starcade, you get some some guys in either a Jushin Liger comes over or, uh, you know, Starcade 95 has like a whole series of matches with new Japan wrestlers. Um, and it's it just Japanese wrestling has sort of always been this kind of hallowed ground. What was it like taking part in, in that? And, and how did that come about? 
Um, it came about, so I, um, a friend of mine put me in touch with a guy over there called Ryoji, and he runs a company called Lanzian Professional Wrestling, and that's an independent company over there in Japan. And they're a sister company of all Japan. So um, I'd gone over for Lanzian uh, twice, and all Japan had asked about me. So he put me in touch with them, um, and I've done two tours with them since. Um, the most recent was during the Champions Carnival, which was about this time last year. Um, and so it was, as a professional wrestler, like you are right about Japan being hallowed ground. The, um, the way they treat professional wrestling there as a culture, the way the fans are, everything about it is completely different to anywhere I've been. Um, and it was an honor. It was a big, big privilege for me to take part in and to be part of that, um, just to see what that's like from living in the dojo, the training and how intense it is, uh, being on the road, um, on the tour bus, seeing the fans before and after shows, uh, sponsor dinners, uh, the works, like, all the stories you hear about it are true, and it's it's amazing. Um, there's there's nothing I would change for the times that I've had there. I hope there's more to come. I hope I return for more tours with all Japan. Um, I know that a lot of companies in Japan are finding it very tough at the moment. A lot of them do run show-to-show. Uh, show. So without the ability to put on shows, it is affecting them quite severely financially. Um, all Japan are lucky in that they've continued to run shows, and they're sort of running these... Uh, empty arena um, recording online only shows so they're viewable via their online streaming service on alljapan.tv um, but yeah um, it's it's getting pretty pretty dire there too with all of the circumstances that are going on but um, an incredible time um, even aside from the professional wrestling itself and being around you know some of the talents being around guys like Kento Miyahara being around guys like Jun Akiyama um, just Japan itself as a country uh, as the people everybody's so friendly uh, the country's absolutely beautiful when I was there in April it was spring so it was right at the time when the cherry blossoms are blooming oh sure so yeah, it's a magical time of year and to be there during all that and to be there as a professional wrestler with one of the oldest professional wrestling companies in the world. Um, yeah, I, I can't, I couldn't ask for more really. Do you feel, uh, a sense of obligation because they're, you know, we, we went over the wrestlers from New Zealand and you know, it's a, it's a fairly short list. Do you, uh, in terms of, I mean, international fame, do you feel a sense of responsibility when you're doing an international tour to represent anything specific as a, as a, I, is Kiwi actually the right term or is New Zealander? I guess I'm always torn. Like, I don't know which it is. You can use either. Uh, Kiwi is, is slang, but, ab but it's absolutely uh, appropriate to call someone a Kiwi. It's not derogatory in any way okay because so, it um, feels like i it it just seems like it might be an insult and i never i i'm good to, i'm glad to know that okay yeah so, not I, at all. so yeah do you so, feel, yeah, feel sense of responsibilities day to day. yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no the in terms of obligation i i yes and no um i i personally carry a lot of that sort of weight myself i think about that sort of stuff a lot and i think about 
how that plays out. But um, especially in a place like Japan, there's a lot to be said for how you carry yourself and Mm -hmm. how that can impact others. Um, So I remember when I first went over um, for my first tour with Land's End, after I came back, the promoter got in touch with me and he said he'd had 15 emails from people who said they know me and like or trained by me and like can they come to japan and uh, <laughs> out of all of out of 15 of those one person had asked me or said to me hey can wow. i do can i do that right <laughs> yeah uh, so like and I, I knew i know all of them right <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and, and whether they're embellished like a majority are embellishing um but like I know someone who got a job out of that. I know someone who was referred onto another company and now lives in Japan and is wrestling over in Japan full time doing that now. Oh, wow. um, arguably off off the back of that. But like uh, obviously like there's you know that's just a foot in the door and, and said person would have gone there and worked really hard and done all of that. But it's like these types of things happen. Um, and so in terms of obligation, I guess for me, if I set a good example as a new zealander that helps other new zealanders so because it sets a good reputation i mean as 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 rude as it might sound for that for that nationality so when when they meet other new zealanders they go oh i remember meeting so and so he was from new zealand she was from new zealand they were really good they were like this they were like that so then they go okay well this person might be similar so it's a lot to do with that. So, uh, and I'm also the beneficiary of New Zealanders that have come before me. So, uh, as long as we can continue to do that, and there are uh, nationalities that have bad reputations in professional wrestling in Japan. So, um, without naming names. So, uh, it is important, I think, uh, to sort of bear that in mind when you go into somewhere like Japan. I feel like that was a shot at Americans. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, the thing is, is Americans, the reason it's not is because Americans have been going there for so long. So, like, and there's all sorts of different ones that have gone through there, you know. For example, like, uh, there's some Americans that have gone through that people hate and they go for one tour or they do something dumb. There's that infamous story of there was an American on tour who uh, stole a kimono from one of the hotels that they were on tour. And, like, the, they found out and they got on the bus. Like, and I could see this happening because, like, this is how this works. Like, we all, like, when you get to the hotel, you all check in, you go to bed, and they say, all right, you have to be up at X by, you know, X to be at the bus ready to go. If you're not there, the bus leaves. Um, the story goes he stole a kimono. The hotel manager told the head, and the guy, they kicked him off the bus immediately and flew him back home straight away. Um, so, like, that stuff will still happen. Um mm. But like the what were we saying prior to that? The oh, I was just um, I was joking that uh, if there's a group that's you know considered uh, trouble in Japan, yeah, sorry, Americans. Like that's one example of like a bad American. But like I guess there's been great Americans. Like they absolutely love the Steiner brothers. They absolutely love the Legion of Doom. They absolutely love the funks, um, for example, in all Japan. So um, I don't think it's necessarily Americans. Um, you'd be surprised because there's a lot of um, a lot of professional wrestling all around the world, and a lot of nationalities um, will go to Japan. Like there's 
Italians there, there's Scots there, there's Irishmen, um, people from South America and Mexico, um, even like uh, Southeast Asian countries like India and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, there's, there's various uh, cultures there. This might be a weird question, but it's just you were talking about having met someone from New Zealand and thinking, oh, they might be, you know, then meeting someone in the future and thinking, oh, you know, referencing back is again. And this might be a bizarre question again, but is there a growing stereotype? Do you ever feel as a Kiwi that the world is viewing Kiwis as funny? And I say that because like lately there's been so many. It seems like there's such an outsized impact for for a small country out in the South Pacific where we've got, um, you know, Flight of the Concords or um, Taiku Watiti doing the Marvel movies. You know, like it's they're creating such a a reputation for like a brand of humor that I think is catching on like worldwide. And I was like, if I were to try to think, what do I know the most about these humans? It seems like a lot of people are very funny. Yeah, the New Zealand sense of humor is very unique, I think. Um, and I'm glad to see that it, the style of humor is getting out. It, it's it's similar to British humor, but maybe a little darker and maybe a little more awkward. Sure. Um, and, and so I think it's appealing in that way. So, I mean, and this is not to knock any other countries, but I mean, like as a wrestler too, you learn these types of different forms of entertainment and you can appreciate them in different ways. Uh, American comedy is obviously very in your face, um, can be very straightforward and to the point, which is funny. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. British comedy is a little more nuanced and British comedy is a little more, I oh, will lead you down the garden path a bit before we get there. Right. Whereas New Zealand comedy, it's sort of just, it's not, it's not, it's almost not intentional sometimes. It's almost just like, it's like, it's just being a dude who's reacting to something the way you might think someone would react if they had had never experienced it before and it sort of has this uh almost innocence to it and so a lot of people can uh, can find it appealing because like if we if we talk about for example you brought up taika waititi and you talk about the type of humor he's now doing um and if we look at the character that he had in thor um that big rock golem like Thor, all, yeah. all of the jokes all it really was was it was just timing and it was just an awkward statement here or there and it was enough to break the ice and that's sort of i guess the way new zealand comedy has always been it's not very abrupt it's not very in your face um but it does have that sort of uh cheeky slyness about it um and yeah i'm glad i'm glad that like there's been success with the flight of the concords with taka waititi and i guess new zealanders uh, have always struggled for separation between us and Australia. Um, and a lot of people will draw comparisons. And I think it's good to know that, especially for these people go, oh yeah, they're New Zealanders. No one's saying like, for example, people would say Russell Crowe is from Australia or he's from New Zealand. <laughs> sure. um, there's no confusion about, about those guys. Yeah. It seemed like for, you know, there was a big chunk of the two thousands where it was like the thing everyone knew was Lord of the Rings. And now it seems like that's transitioned maybe to the thing everyone knows is there's some really funny people <laughs> coming out of that scene. Yeah. And, um, and New Zealanders always, um, been high achievers. Like I mentioned before, it's a population of 4 million people. So for them to have a presence in the, uh, cultural, you know, um, plethora of stuff going on for them to have a say, is pretty cool. I think. 
So I'm curious, going back to all the way back to wrestling and WCW, the the whole the original point of all this. Yeah. Uh, so you were talking about Ray and Dean, and then coming to appreciate. Uh, you know, as someone when you're a wrestler now and you're looking to uh, incorporate new things, or or you see something that catches your eye and think, you know, I'd like to try that out in a future match. Are you looking now to the big guys like your Pages, your Nashes, or is it more, you know, taking a little bit from the cruiserweights, taking a little bit from the heavyweights? When it comes to just stealing something and seeing how it works, who in who in WCW are you ever trying to lift stuff from? What I've been doing, what I really enjoy, and what some of my friends will do when we're bored is we'll go through and we'll start, like, on a date, and we'll start watching from there, and we might not even just watch nitro like most of the times we'll also include thunder in that yeah and and with thunder there's a lot of guys you don't usually see and there's a lot of stuff um a lot of gimmicks and things that are on there i mean there's awesome workers like like um like ice train and stuff oh so, god i i talked to him uh, i did an interview with him two weeks ago and i was thrilled because i just think that guy is so great and it's like I'm not saying he could have been world champion or who knows what he could have been, but it's just, he's so underutilized. And, 100%. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's such a treat to watch and he's like, he's the reason you should get out there and watch, you know, Saturday night. And uh, as you said, thunder, you know, besides just the main shows, because it's so fun to see those guys who are kind of diamond in the rough. That's it. And, that, and as a, as a, as a worker, that's the stuff I enjoy because I can see, them trying new things or I can see them doing this or doing that and go, oh, I can see what they were trying to do there as opposed to maybe on nitro where, uh, especially like maybe your Nashes and you guys in the main event, they're already sort of going through the motions. Um, but again, like, as you say, like the cruiserweights, like, um, even if you move away from the, the more known guys and you move to you guys, like your Prince Iakeas, your, your Alex Wrights, um, all of them um, have some incredible movesets. One really good guy to watch too, um, and one of my favorites, another I remember growing up was Booker T because you got to see him transition from what was like, I mean, the guy was an incredible athlete. The guy's like six foot five and like way back at the beginning, his finish was what a missile drop kick from the top rope. Like that's ridiculous. <laughs> right. um, so like, just to watch him sort of transition. So he's had all of these really jumping high flying maneuvers and then he sort of transitioned into being more of a heavyweight and seeing how he did that, how he was still able to keep a lot of the stuff um, that brought him there, you know, Um, guys like that. So 2001 early in the year, Nitro WCW goes away. Were you still watching at that point or had you checked out during some of the, the bad years of 99 and 2000? Um, uh, my interest was waning at that point. Um, I do remember ready to rumble, um, and enjoying that movie immensely. Um, even to this day, the, um, uh, I remember it like I had a cousin and he was into it too. And it was sort of one of our shared interests. And I remember going around to his place one time and he was like, Oh, did you watch WCW? And he went to put a tape on, um, and it was Berlin and the wall. And there was some promo about something. And I remember just looking at him like, I don't, none of this like even appeals to me in the slightest at that point. Um, and I, I just turned off. I think probably the moment I sort of fell out of it was around about the time when um, they sort of had 
Goldberg and like ending the streak and Bret Hart coming in around about that sort of time. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't know, like, I guess it was starting to lose its magic and you were starting to see a lot of these older guys clogging up the main event. And like, even subconsciously as a kid, you can sort of see that. Well, before we close, uh, my last question would be, what was your favorite all-time WCW match? Any match, any show, what what stood out to you? What's your favorite? Oh, man, okay. Well, I mean, I feel like this is a cliche answer, but it would be Halloween Havoc 1997, Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero. Hard um, to beat. It's, 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 it's a perfect match. It truly is, like... In, in the sense that you watch these two guys and you can tell like Ray's so young still, but he's got that raw athletic ability and Eddie's been in the game for so long at this point and he's catching Ray when Ray might fall. He's spotting Ray in certain spots and moments. Like I, I remember watching it as a kid and just being in awe. And as I've grown up and as I've gotten more experience as a professional wrestler, and I've gone back to watch it. I see new things. I can see where his positioning meant that he hit this here. Like if we talk about that backflip DDT, he's never done it since. Rey Mysterio has tried multiple times and he's never been able to do it perfectly like he did that night with Eddie. And that's Mm -hmm. because it's Eddie. That's like he tried to do it with CM Punk. He couldn't do it. He's tried to do it with other luchadors. He can't do it. The only person he ever did it like that was Eddie, and that's because of his positioning, because of his timing, because of everything. So, um, yeah, to go back and watch that match over and over again, like, I, yeah, you can't get sick of it. Um, and then, and then, second to that would be uh, the Cruiserweight Battle Royale for the shot at the Cruiserweight Championship. Ciclo Pay winning, tearing off his mask. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Dean Malenko just opening up a can of whoop ass on. I, I remember tears streaming down my face i remember just, <laughs> just being just screaming at the television just like and you know, if you're then my favorite shot like that wide hand shot as they zoom out on dean malenko stomping on jericho and you just see everyone in the crowd like going mental it was just yeah that it's some incredible moments and like yeah absolutely why i fell in love with professional wrestling well yeah i i think when we close this out i'm gonna head back upstairs and i think i'm gonna bring up Halloween Havoc 97 because it's been probably, I think I watched that last year sometime, but it's probably, it's probably been about 12 months. So it's, it's about due for a rewatch for sure. You know what? I, I, I thought I, I reminisce. I'm going to do it the same. I'm going to go and watch it today. Like why not? I, I, I might as well go and like, yeah, go and enjoy it. Well, Slade, thanks so much for joining us here on the show and, uh, stay safe out there in Australia and, and, uh, you know, hopefully it seems like you guys are a little bit ahead of us in terms of all this stuff. And, and I truly hope as long as it's safe for the performers and the audiences that you guys get some live events up and running soon. We'd we'd love to have some, uh, I, you know, I don't know your perspective, the empty arena stuff just uh, on a personal level. The performers are trying their hearts out. Uh, it just it doesn't connect with me in the same way with an empty arena. So uh, we definitely we want everyone wants live wrestling back uh, as soon as it's safe to do so. Yeah, I, I agree with you in that regard. Um, so much of the of the of what we bring is reliant on a live audience, um, and it's hard to enjoy it, whether it's any company. Not knocking anyone, but um, 
it is different and it is difficult. Um, so yes, um, I absolutely wish everybody is staying uh, safe and healthy. Um, if you want to follow me on any of my socials, my Twitter is at Kiwi Wrestler. My Instagram is the same. Um, and you can keep up to date on the Australian professional wrestling scene. All right. Well, thanks. And, and, uh, thanks for getting your plugs out there. I'm, I'm new to interviewing. So that was, it's always on my list, but it slipped my mind. So good. It's always, you can tell someone's a professional when they make sure <laughs> to get their plugs in there unprompted. So thanks for grabbing those, uh, and look forward to seeing, uh, what comes out of you in the future. Thanks for joining the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. All right. Well, my thanks to Slade for coming on the show. It was a lot of fun talking to someone. I, I talked to him at 9 p.m. my time. It was noon for him the next day. I know, like, everyone is we're too old to be impressed by how time zones work, but, like, that still just blows my mind that I'm talking to someone and it's noon the next day for them. Uh, I'm, I'm a simple-minded person, and that just, like, never will <laughs> stop being somewhat amusing to me. <laughs> so, Dave... Is there any quarantine recommendations? I'm asking this slowly to give my mind time to think of something that I'll say when it's my turn. <laughs> okay. You got any recommendations right now? Uh, well, I mean, I mean to be honest, this whole episode, I mean, I'm just very distracted and like downtrodden about um, the Hanakamura um, news that was like this morning. Um, I have been reading a lot about. Um, uh, Ring of Honor just said that on their uh, YouTube channel they're gonna have her match from their from the um, Super Card of Honor from last April. Like she was in the six the six woman tag, and that one's gonna be available oh, okay. for free. Um, and so I've I kind of feel like um, that there's gonna be on on start on Stardom's YouTube page and and their and um, Ring of Honor's YouTube page are gonna have those free. Uh, kind of waiting to see if uh, New Japan's gonna have that that dark tag team match because she was in that that women's tag team match. Um, oh, the one from this year at the Tokyo Dome. Yeah, yeah. So okay, yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, so she actually she teams with uh, Julia, who is the person that she faces in that match that I recommended to you, um, and they face um, uh, Arisa Hosiki. I I don't think I pronounced her name right who also just retired this like a week ago at the age of like 27 because um, this new management that's coming in to stardom, I think really needs to overhaul the way that they've been treating and training their wrestlers because they, they have like, they've had a lot of wrestlers retire before they reach 30 because they are just get, they're getting back and neck injuries just by the way that they are, are, um, being trained and kind of like just being kind of like roughhoused during their careers and the way that they have their matches, I feel like they need to kind of overhaul the way that they they wrestle in the ring. They need to be a lot safer and just a lot more consideration for long term injuries and things like that. But I mean, that's a whole different subject. And I, as far as I know, uh, Hanakamura did not have any sort of like debilitating injuries that. Yeah, they're all related because I mean it's like at this point we just not, we don't really know exactly all the circumstances. I mean we don't know if 
is, is CTE a factor in this or not? Like we, there's just so much we don't know and there's, there's no, um, definitive answers yet. Um, and it's, and it's, it's our human nature to want like a singular answer. And it, a lot of people out there right now are blaming reality TV or they're blaming online harassment. Right. Uh, and I think, I think from my uh, way outside perspective, I'm, you were familiar with her as a wrestler. I literally learned about her last night and just, but, but in just reading all of this and reading the thoughts of, of people that knew her, like, I think we're going to find that all of those things played a factor. Um, but going back to what you said at the top of the show, uh, mental health is, is something that like that it all needs to, with any self harm, I think it, it needs to start there. And I say that as someone who's experienced depression, anxiety, that, Mm. that part, I don't, I'm not an outsider. I'm an insider. So, um, I, I think unfortunately there were a variety of awful things in the world in general and in her life specifically, um, lately with some stuff, uh, most people that know who she is know what I'm talking about with the, with the stuff on Terrace house and the online harassment she was getting from fans of that show. But, Mm -hmm. um, but I think like there's a tendency among people I see now to like, this is the fault of, I just don't think there's you can't put like a singular thing on it and to sure. do that would be a disservice to all of the things like we need to work on online bullying we need to work on mental health we it can't just yeah. be one thing that we blame and say this is uh, yeah what I, and I feel us, like you know? it raises a lot of questions because uh, I know yesterday that there were several um, wrestlers in stardom and that were in W <clears throat> excuse me in WWE that reached out to her and were able to contact her. Like I know that Carrie Sane and Io Shirai did and um, uh, Jamie Hayter, they all reached out to her and they seemed to be indicated that she was doing fine. And like there are, like you said, there's a lot of different questions. I mean, as far as, um, um, you know, Japan, I don't know exactly what they're, what is, traditionally done there if there's like any sort of real safety checks or wellness checks that are done um as far as like someone going to her residence to check on her or to um get her somewhere where she could be uh safe um right i I don't that's the thing i i don't know if that's even something that was available or if it was attempted or anything like that um it'd be interesting to to know what the circumstances were because like I said, it, it was, it was made very apparent that people reached out to her and they, from what they could ascertain from like talking on the phone or, or through social media that she was doing fine or that she gave him the impression, that sort of thing. Yeah. That's what's so hard is the last thing that I had. Cause last night I had, I had seen that she was making some upsetting posts on Twitter, but then I had heard that someone had spoken to her and that she was okay. I mean, okay being a covering a lot of ground, right. certainly not okay, but, but, you know, still, still seeming to, you know, be willing to communicate with people and what have you. And that stardom had people on their way to kind of go over and check on her. And that's where it was when I went to bed. And then I woke up and, and had your message, a message from you that, that said that she had died and that was i was so surprised because i thought i thought like wow that sounds really bad i'm glad they they got everything taken care of and and i um, right and that uh, and it's, oh, it is like like i said i mean we're not even 24 hours away uh removed yeah. from it and there's no there's a lot of like official information that's not known so it's hard 
it's not fair to speculate as far as exactly what happened and who could have helped or, or what those circumstances were, but it's just, you know, it's, it's just a very a sad and unfortunate situation. I mean, I have been following her career for like a few years now. I mean, it was through her and like, uh, just basically like gifts by like that, that really, what's that really well-known, um, wrestling gif on twitter that does a lot of like japanese wrestling like um alan or lariato oh oh uh tde yeah yeah they they tde does a lot yeah they did because they do a lot of stardom stuff and they did gifts that had her in it and and just to be frank like like she's a she's a very beautiful woman and that was like the initial appeal and i'm like oh she seems interesting and then just seeing watching her career and seeing that she had like said so much like in-ring charisma, um, so much personality. And it was obvious that year month to month, year to year that she was progressing as a wrestler. And by all indications, like like stardom was ready to make her one of the top stars like very soon. So um yeah, this is it's gonna this is gonna be one that I think is gonna kinda stick with me for a while, is just just very very upsetting and very sad um, story that I, you know, again, just want to kind of give it some time to understand the story more fully. Um, I mean, even like when just talking about Owen Hart, because Owen Hart, I mean, that, that always becomes a big thing in the wrestling community when it gets back to the anniversary of his accident. And it seems like even nowadays you're still learning information that's new. So it's, it's the yeah. sort of thing where it's just like, you have to give a little bit of time to understand exactly what happened before you want to start throwing blame specifically on one thing or another. Um, it's crazy how far this has spread. Like there's a lot of people in like WWE and in AEW mm-hmm. that are like are talking about it. I, mm-hmm. when I read the news that I didn't even think it was going to be like even a major story. I thought it was going to be kind of in the stardom world, but it ended up being like, everyone kind of seen it for like the, the just utter tragedy that it is. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I kind of felt like I had my recommendation out there, but yeah, watch, yeah. watching the free Hana Kimura matches and a pre, like you mentioned before, try to appreciate what she did in life and the positives rather than wanting to sit and feel so negative about how it ended. So, yeah, uh, I'm just going to make my recommendation the same thing. Um, it's something that I have not done before, uh, but I'm going to do it now. I'm going to watch some Hana Kimura matches and uh, and try to get appreciation of this person that I wish I had known about during her life. Uh, so I, I invite everyone to do the same, whether it's someone you're familiar with or not. Uh, apologies if this episode was a, a downer, not what you were expecting. Um it's just like we said at the start, it's been such a rough uh, week. And then and then the news today and we had this recording scheduled and I've been feeling like it's we should have done this a few days ago and I kept pushing it back. So I wanted to make sure we got an episode out to you guys. Mm-hmm. So, again, if we uh, talked about stuff uh, to m- modern stuff and it was a bummer, uh, you know, hey, sometimes the show is just me and Dave catching up. So I, I hope everyone stuck with yeah. us. And I do. We, you know, we focus a lot on the Hana Kimura stuff. Understandably, it just happened. I do want to let everyone know there is a GoFundMe out there for Shad Gaspard's family as well. 
Um, you that could was just... the, yeah, that was the other, and I and I did. I just um, I didn't want to like toot my horn or pat myself on the back, but I did. I donated um, fifty bucks towards that. Nice, because I know they're like, oh yeah, it reached its um, its goal, but it's like, yeah, a hundred thousand is only gonna go so far for that family. So anything else, they could still use as much as people are willing to give, and and I just. That I mean, if it wasn't for what happened just this morning, like the Chagas Bard thing would still be like right in my mind. Just mm-hmm. how I mean that that story, since we know it so much clearer now as far as what happened. When you got the details, it was such a sad, sad yeah. set of circumstances. Um, I mean, people can go ahead and and read up about that. We don't have to sit here and 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 rehash all that story, but. Yeah, I mean, if you do, anyone listening to this, if you have even just a few bucks, if you have something you're able to give um, to donate to that family that's going to really need it in the immediate future. Um, but I'm sure that, like, you could probably provide a, a link on Twitter or something like that for people to click and and, and donate what they can. Yeah, I, I retweeted it earlier. I, I forget who I was retweeting that had the link. It might have been like Shane Helms or somebody. But oh, sure. It's definitely the, there. Or just go to GoFundMe, search for Shad Gaspard. Uh, anyway, we'll be back with uh, with our next Nitro, and, and uh, hopefully hopefully less awful things have happened <laughs> in, the, in the next couple weeks. Yeah. So uh, so we just have some, some happy-go-lucky Nitro to talk about. But uh, you'll find out, along with us, right here where the big boys play. 20 years of Nitro.